6 a.m. on the West Coast, 9 a.m. on the East Coast of America. It's 2 p.m. in London, 7.30 in Mumbai, India. In Kyoto, Japan, it's 11 o'clock at night. And here in Malaysia, it's 1974. I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My goodness, the bots are all over tonight. Right off the top of the show and the bots have uh, popped in. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Uh, obviously, y'all are smarter than that. So, you know, they're bots and you're not going to click on the links. I don't have moderators. <clears throat> I'm not important enough to have moderators. So we just let the bots do what they do and how they can have fun. We'll report them later. They'll get banned, whatever. Anyway, welcome in across Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitch.tv Live, and Rumble.com Live. We're on all floor platforms, and of course, if you're listening later to our podcast, we thank you for that, and thank you for the subscriptions and the downloads. We've got tons of podcast listeners across the U.S., Malaysia, India, we do amazingly well in India. We are featured on uh, Geo7. I believe that's how you say it. That's a podcast like Spotify or Google or Amazon, Apple podcast. We're on all those platforms and Geo7. So thank you for them for carrying the show. And thank you for listening and subscribing and downloading. We really appreciate that. All right, uh, we are going to continue with the second half of the first chapter of A Christmas Carol later on at the end of the show tonight. And, um, oh, yeah, I'm wearing my Saya Anak Malaysia shirt tonight. Can you see it? There we go. It's hard to see the whole thing because it's huge. It says Saya Anak Malaysia, which is kind of loosely translated, I'm a child of Malaysia. Okay, technically, I'm not but I feel like I am. And the wonderful people of this country have opened their hearts and welcomed me, and I fully respect their culture and their idiosyncrasies and all the weirdness. Somebody said to me, you know, your show would be a lot more popular if you were more controversial. Aluna Amethyst, hey, welcome in. Good to see you. Um, but, you know... I really don't want to go there. I dance around on the edge of a few controversial things, usually in the beginning of the show, sometimes. But there's also a part of me that feels it's not my place. I'm a guest here. I've been a guest here for almost, next year will be 20 years, if the good graces of the immigration department decides to allow me to stay, which hopefully they will. But... Um, I have always respected the fact that I'm a guest in this country for 20 years nearly now, uh, but I try and be a respectful guest, and I hope I'm doing a decent job of it. Uh, occasionally, I will speak out against one thing or another if it really grinds my gears, but for the most part, I just enjoy spending an hour with you three times a week 
and talking about the funny stuff, the weird stuff, the absurd stuff. I mean, it is a bit of a conundrum, a conundrum because, you know, yes, you're right. The controversial shows are more popular, and that's fine. But I've kind of carved out a little niche for myself here where we just get together and we chit-chat about the weird stuff we find on the net, the strange things, and uh, hopefully you enjoy hearing about them and my sharing them with you. And then, of course, our, our classic book that we read at the end, a piece of every, uh, every stream. So anyway, bottom line, thank you. Thank you for listening and watching and sharing a little piece of your day three times a week with me. All right, and with Miko, because it's time. Miko update. <laughs> Miko update, yeah. Miko is a little beside herself because she's missing somebody very badly tonight. And uh, yeah, but I did want to share a very cool Miko update with you, which is this. Check that out. I don't know if the camera can focus on it. It's a little blown out. But this is Miko's IC, identity card. Now, no, it's not an official government thing. It's uh, done by a, a group. Uh, it's a business. They're in the business of making money. But they do uh, give a part of their proceeds to help support uh, strays, stray cats, stray dogs here in Malaysia. And it looks very much like a Malaysian IC. And on the back, it's got personal information, so I don't want to share it. But on the back is our contact numbers, myself, my other half, and uh, the vet, uh, Miko's veterinary information and contact number. And then her microchip number is also here. Now, this is fine. It stays in my wallet. We've got two of them, one for me, one for my other half. And this... I dropped it. Hold on. <laughs> okay, I got it back. This is the tag that goes on her... Um, again, it's a little blown out in the lights. But this is the tag that goes on her, uh, her collar. And it's exactly the same thing. It's just like this one that goes in my wallet, but it's a tiny little one. And again, on the back, it has our contact information. So anybody who... Find if, if Miko should get loose or run away, God forbid, uh, with this on, they would be able to get a hold of us and let us know that they've found her. It's a brilliant idea, and it's not terribly expensive. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, they have a sale going on right now. And uh, I, like I said, it's a business. They're not paying me to advertise, but I will tell you that I am so amazed at the service these folks uh, did for me. And the turnaround time, I got this in under a week. It was just a matter of days from the time I ordered it. And um, they sent me a WhatsApp message. They confirmed all my information. There was one minor mistake in spelling. I think it was probably my fault. So I fixed it and they corrected it and it came out right on the card. And then I got, in fact, I was sure there was a package coming. I got a message that the package was on the way, but it was like three days after I'd confirmed the info for this. And sure enough, it, it was the, uh, the little Miko ICs. <laughs> so turnaround time was absolutely fantastic. Um, there is a link to, uh, to this. 
Paul's life matters or Paul life's matters. Let me, let me show you here, the website. It's very cool. And again, look, uh, I just want to be straight up. This is a business. They do make money, but part of their proceeds, which is wonderful, goes to help strays. And like I said, they did such an amazing job with this thing. I was so pleased and am pleased that uh, I thought I would share that with you. Malaysia's first ever pet ID. It is pawlifematters.com. There is a link in the show notes tonight. You can see it. You can click there and go to this site and check it out. So you get you get the card and you get a little tag one. And uh, it's, it's very cool. And right now, you see right there, they have a sale going on. Half off or 42% off. So 35 bucks for the card. A ringgit, I should say which really is a, a, a very respectable amount. They're very professionally done. They're the same material like a credit card is made of. And uh, no, they are not paying me for this advertisement. <laughs> I just, I was so pleased. I wanted to give a tip of the hat to the folks at pawlifematters.com uh, and check them out. Now, Miko was running around. Miko, Miko, where'd you go? Come here, buddy. Miko was running around here a little while ago. But now she seems to have disappeared. Miko, where'd you go? She disappeared. I have no idea. Maybe she'll come back in. We'll get her on the show. She was here a minute ago. Oh, I have a new chair, by the way. Look, no more squeaks. See, rocking back and forth and no squeaking. Very cool. I'm so pleased. <laughs> Uh, all right. What else have we got going on here? Uh, Miko update. Uh, yeah, this was her earlier today. She has this shirt that, uh, we gave her one of our old shirts and she plays with it. It's one of her favorite toys. It's just an old singlet. Then this is her favorite chew toy. And she was sleeping today, uh, just kind of chilling out and enjoying life. Uh, there we go. And, oh, by the way, did you try this? KFC's got a Burger P. Romley. I expected it was going to be crap. It's really tasty. You've got to check this thing out. Again, KFC, you want to sponsor the show? Get in touch. No pants at jsheldon.com. But anyway, a non-paid endorsement again. The Burger P. Romley? Mm. Nice. One of my favorite burgers from them. Really good. Uh, this, uh, this relates actually to what we were just talking about in case your dog gets lost. Somebody that's not Miko. That is a uh, missing dog. So I reposted that. Oh, and here's my post about the, uh, here's my post. This is the package that came in. Very cool disco package. <laughs> and there's, there's the two cards and there's Miko's tag card. Very cool. So. All right, cool stuff. I guess Miko's not going to show up, so we're going to move on. She's being she's being shy. Like all Asians, she's being shy. Asians have see that was an attempt at a really weird segue, but what the hell. <laughs> our uh, our thumbnail tonight talks a little bit about the strange customs in Asia. In fact, when I looked at this list, it's from bootsandall.com. Bootsandall.com, links in the show notes. I thought, it says the seven most bizarre Asian cultural habits. 
like I just said, I've been here almost 20 years. Next year will be 20 years. To me, these things are not weird anymore. I mean, when you spend a third of your life in one place, you adapt, you modify, you get accustomed to. But to people, and I know I have listeners and viewers around the planet, from the UK to New Zealand to India to the US, so I thought not for Malaysians, because to you guys, it's like meh, meh, M-E-H, meh. It's what we say when it's like, meh, whatever, meh. But to a lot of other people, they're still weird. This is an article from bootsandall.com, and it's called The Seven Most Bizarre Asian Cultural Habits. Travelers who have yet to explore this part of the earth. Asia is like a whole new world of hot and spicy temptations, that's true. Strange smells, intriguing languages, exotic food, and add to that culture shock factor. Um, Japanese noodle slurping, which also goes here in Malaysia too. A lot of people think that, you know, when you're eating noodles and you're making that noise, Oh, it's, you know, it's, it's like chewing with your mouth open. It's disgusting. However, in Asian culture, particularly Japanese culture, it is a sign that you're enjoying the food, how much you slurp your noodles. Uh, Japan, who is, of course, well known for their courtesy, extreme courtesy and gentle mannerisms, has that odd cultural habit that contradicts the stereotypical view of the Japanese. Uh, slurping hard on soba noodles is a must. You show your appreciation for the soba with the volume of your slurp. And we do the same thing here. Squatting toilets. Now, sadly, that's what a lot of squat toilets look like in this country, is, but, but the public ones. Public toilets here are a known nightmare, trust me. That's not a culture shock thing. That's just a 110% fact. Same thing goes to Thailand. I can't, uh, Singapore, I don't remember. It's been 12, 15 years since I was in Singapore. Frankly, you can have Singapore. To me, if Disney ran a country, it would be Singapore. Everything perfect, everything has its rules. And I can't stand it. I'm sorry, Singapore. I got some Singaporean friends. I love you guys to death. But the country as a whole? Nah. Sorry. It's a meh for me. Uh, <clears throat> it's, it's, there's too many rules. But anyway, squat toilets are still a thing here. And uh, it's probably the one thing that I don't use, I have never used, and I will never. Okay, wait. I'll take that back. One time I was forced to use one. It was the most damned uncomfortable experience in the bathroom I've ever had. <laughs> it's a mess. Trust me, if you don't have to, uh, have to use a squat toilet, don't use it. Okay, here's a weird one. Growing long pinky nails. 
The Chinese especially, and Indonesians, have always deemed long fingernails as a sign of beauty. That's since ancient times. And you would be quite surprised at what people use them for. Long nails are excellent tools for Asians to pick their ears, teeth, or nose. Ew. And oh, by uh, only the little pinky gets to do the dirty job. Some say Indonesians and Indians also use their pinky nails for other purposes, to there's just no polite way to say this, to pick their butt, some say. Remember the next time you shake someone's hands. Even in modern-day Taiwan or Singapore, you can still spot young lads, especially uh, Indonesians, Chinese, with exceptionally long pinky nails. Perhaps not so much for picking their ears, but uh, maybe it's a fashion statement. Uh, removing your shoes at home... I did this even when I was in the U.S. I just had a thing about having shoes in the house. But we do not wear our shoes in the house here in this culture. No matter what your culture is, Malay, Chinese, Indian, Kazakhstan, whatever. Nobody wears shoes in the house here. And uh, that is across most, if not all, of, uh, of Asia. Uh, spitting in China. Unfortunately, it's not an urban legend. Anybody who's been to China will know it is shockingly true. In fact, you'll see no spitting signs in a lot of places. Uh, it, turning around, seeing a modest, pretty Chinese lady sniffing hard, then spitting out a huge lump of phlegm that almost lands right next to your Nikes. Um, you will see this everywhere, from cosmopolitan Shanghai to rural Gulin, uh, outdoors, on the streets, indoors, and in nice restaurants, spitting is a thing. To me, it's just really gross, but it's a thing. Um, again, I'm not going to go through all these, but uh, go to bootsandall.com. The link's in our show notes tonight, and you can check it out, read the whole article. But this one last one is one that I've I've admitted before still bugs the hell out of me. Sharing food, no, that's fine. We share food here, no problem. We cook dishes, we each have a plate, and everyone shares food. That's quite common, as opposed to you getting your own portion on your plate. But eating with your mouth open, damn it, is disgusting. And talking with the food in your mouth, with your mouth, uh, of course, with your mouth open, because you're talking. People do that all the time here. And it is so gross. The last thing I want to see is your half-chewed-up food, which sometimes comes spitting and ejecting out of your mouth while you're talking. But people chew loudly and talk and with the food in their mouth. Does that sound disgusting to you? It is. It's gross. Stop doing that. I know it's the culture, I know it's a custom, but if, please, could we change one custom and come up maybe into like the 2020s a little bit? I'm sorry, it's, it's just gross. Seriously. Stop talking with your mouth full of food, it's gross. Ah, there, I'm gonna swallow some coffee and then talk, okay? <laughs> Oh, man. 
All right, so check out that whole article if you want. There's a bunch of them in there, and it's it's rather cool, actually. Uh, what else we got going on tonight? We got, uh, oh, we've got weird things you may not know that you can find on your products that you buy, including expiration dates on makeup? Huh? This is from uh, kueez.com, K-U-E-E-Z. Dot com. You can find the link again in our show notes uh, if you want to read the whole article. But um, yeah, this, for example, you see, this is like a Tic Tac. Is it Tic Tac? Yeah, Tic Tac is the ridiculous spying Chinese website thing app. This is a Tic Tac. Uh, but there are some other things. In fact, I've got some, I, th- I don't know, it's some sort of breath freshener thing. It comes in the same kind of box as this. And the reason you'll see this little thing is not necessarily to, to seal the, the box, although it does seal the lid. But if you shake it and then open the lid like this, let me get my mouse back, like this, you will get one, just one, so they don't all come dumping out when you tip it over. That's specifically designed to dispense these one at a time. Surprising features on common things we never knew about. Uh, peeling an orange doesn't have to be hard and messy. It can be. You dig your fingers into the peel and juice sprays everywhere. You're left with a sticky mess. But it is possible to peel all kinds of citrus fruit uh, without making a mess. See this? Check this out. Look at that. How cool is that? You just take the top and the bottom and you cut them off. Then you slice down one side and unroll it. And just like that, Nature's provided us with a rather cool dispensing machine. (laughs) Uh, The right way to heat things in the microwave. You heat up a container of leftovers, and you feel like some parts are cold and some parts are boiling hot. The problem is you're putting the food in a big pile on the plate. The heat with microwave doesn't distribute that way. Try this the next time you reheat something. You see what they've done here? This looks like uh, some spaghetti. They've made a circle of the spaghetti with a hole in the middle. Just separated it out with a spoon or a fork here. Because the microwaves will come in from the outside and then go to the inside. So if you heat your food like if, if it's the kind of a food product that you could do this with. I mean, a piece of chicken, you can't, but... You know, but if you've got several pieces, you could put them on the plate here, 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 around, the, around like in a circle on the outside, evenly spaced. And chances are, for the most part, they will get evenly heated in the microwave. Here's one I did not know, nor did I even realize why. Why would you need an expiration date on beauty products? You know, makeup. Uh, for women mostly eyeliner, eyeshadow blush face powder well they do have expiration dates and some people may or may not know that Uh, it'll tell you when it's time to throw it away because it's expired I didn't think makeup could expire but apparently it can you see that's right here this little 12M that stands for 12 months That's how long after you open the product that it is good for. 
before it expires. On almost every beauty product, uh, there's a small 6M, 12M, or 24M. And it depends on the product. But that's how long after you open it that you have to use it for before it expires. So check your beauty products. And in some cases, it, it can be not good for your skin if your, uh, you know, your makeup beauty products have expired because of all the, you know, all the strange ingredients. Look at this, lanolin, alcohol, dimethicone, sodium, carbon. What is this? <laughs> anyway, check, check your beauty products because chances are some of it may have expired. Might be time to throw it away and buy some more. Sounds like a good way to get you to buy more beauty products. But uh, yeah, so those little, those little 12M, 6M, 24M things actually do matter, apparently. I don't know. As you can tell, I don't wear makeup. Actually, you know what? That's not true. Occasionally, I have a pimple or two, and I'll use like a concealer. In fact, there's one right there. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, coming up, by the way, on our next stream, which will be what, Monday night? I've got a great article about what celebrities look like without makeup. You got to check that one out. We're not going to do it tonight, but on Monday night show, check it out. It's a very cool looking at with and without makeup celebrities. It's amazing what these guys look like. Hang on. Coffee break time. Okay. We're back. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Sex in the City, yes! Sex in the City is back! That's right. Uh, from attitude.co.uk. Links in the show notes tonight if you want to read it. And just like that, the first trailer drops for the Sex and the City spinoff. And yes, these three are back. Samantha, sadly, is not back. She declined... To take part, but the first two episodes are coming up not very long from now. It premieres December 9th. The first trailer's been released, and just like that, the Sex and the City prequel, starring Sarah Je uh, Jessica Parker as Carrie Bradshaw, Cynthia Nixon is also seen in the clip as Miranda Hobbs, along with Kristen Davis as Charlotte. Kim Cattrall, who played Samantha Jones, of course, one of my, my very favorite characters in Sex and the City, she uh, has, is not returning for the new show. Wow! Ryan sent a book. He says the reason for the expiration dates in makeup is because there are oils in makeup formulas. You know, you should do a Crimson Mage YouTube video on this. Not a bad idea, huh? Even though there are preservatives in the makeup, degrading oils in the makeup can cause infections, especially for eye makeup products. There you go. Also, makeup companies want to avoid lawsuits when there are claims of infections through expired makeups. Brilliant. Makes perfect sense. Thank you, Ryan, for that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, that, uh, that makes sense. All right. I'm going to see if I can play this. No guarantees. Chances are I'll get a copyright strike. But let's see. Ladies, your table is ready. <laughs> they say some things never change. But the truth is, life 
is full of surprises. And as your story unfolds, the city reinvents itself. And just like that, a new chapter begins. Wow. Ha! Yeah, yes! Oh, I cannot wait. You know, I never thought about it. Sex in the City just never crossed my mind. But when I saw this article and I watched that trailer, only then did I realize exactly how much I miss that show. I cannot wait until December 9th on HBO. <laughs> Man, it's been... A, how long has it been? I should look that up. I don't know when the last Sex in the City aired. And this article doesn't say. <clears throat> it's been a long, long time. My goodness. All right. What else we got? Anything? Okay, I'm going to save the... Uh, I had another article I wanted to share, but we'll save it for Monday's show. Uh, funny times the internet caught people making stupid attempts at lying. And that's coming up. Uh, it, the link may be in the show notes, which is fine. You can check it out before we talk about it. But I will have that for you on uh, on Monday's show. <laughs> okay, sorry. <clears throat> wow. That came out of nowhere and surprised me. Okay, I'm back. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Uh, one last thing before we get to our book, and it links us perfectly into our book. We're coming up on the holiday season. Thanksgiving is just a week or two away. Christmas is like, what, like five weeks away? It's six weeks max. It ain't going to be long, folks. Anyway, Lorraine, thank you for posting this. Uh, it's a brilliant post, and I just had to share this with you. I should have shared this on my own Facebook page, but it's exactly right. Okay, for folks, let's get this straight. Santa Claus is a man. Baby, it's cold outside is not offensive. Candy canes are canes and not upside down letter J's for Jesus. We say Merry Christmas, not Happy Holidays. Children should get to decorate their classrooms for Christmas. There were three wise men, not three wise people. Baby Jesus was a boy, not a baby. Mommy wasn't really kissing Santa Claus. She was kissing her husband. Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, actually teaches children not to be bullies. Stop turning Christmas into a ridiculous buffalo sandwich political agenda. Let kids be kids. Let them believe in Santa. It's the one time of the year we should all be a little nicer and forget everything that 
makes us mean or offended. So, Merry Christmas for all you bar humbugs out there. Exactly right. And like I said, thank you, Lorraine, for, uh, for sharing that. Whoa. <laughs> Hang on. I'm still trying to keep track. Okay. <clears throat> now, that ties really nicely into the next thing. And that is, of course, our book. Um, we have been, we started one stream ago or two, uh, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. It's brilliantly written. I love Dickens. And uh, the original Christmas Carol, I'm sure you've seen versions of it, films, in fact, uh, Bill Murray has an amazing, Scrooge is an incredible film, very funny, uh, based on Dickens' Christmas Carol. So we are actually reading the original writing from way back in uh, 1860-something, I think it was. And uh, we're going to continue tonight. Uh, as you know, we started the first half of the very first chapter and set the stage for Bob Marley, who had just headed home for his Christmas Eve, and Scrooge, who was doing the same. So here is the second half of chapter one of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern, and having read all the newspapers and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book, went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. They were a gloomy suite of rooms in a lowering pile of building up a yard, where it had so little business to be that one could scarcely help fancying it. It must have run there when it was a young house, playing at hide-and-seek with other houses, and have forgotten the way out again. It was old enough now, and dreary enough, for nobody lived in it but Scrooge, the other rooms being all let out as offices. The yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, was fain to grope with his hands. The fog and frost so hung about the black old gateway of the house that it seemed if the genius of the weather sat in mournful meditation on the threshold. Now, it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Also that Scrooge had as little of what is called fancy about him as any man in the city. Even including, which is a bold word, the corporation, aldermen, and livery in the city of London. 
let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven-years-dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, without its undergoing any immediate process of change, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Marley's face. It was not an impenetrable shadow, as the other objects in the yard were, but it had a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. It was not angry or ferocious, but looked at Scrooge as Marley used to look, with ghostly spectacles turned up on its ghostly forehead. The hair was curiously stirred, as if by a breath of hot air, and though the eyes were wide open, they were perfectly motionless. That and its livid color made it horrible but its horror seemed to be in spite of its face and beyond its control rather than a part of its own expression. As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it became a knocker again. To say that he was not startled or that his blood was not conscious of a terrible sensation to which it had been a stranger from infancy would be untrue. But he put his hand upon the key he had relinquished, turned it sturdily, walked in, and lighted his candle. He did pause, with a moment's irresolution, before he shut the door. And he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he half expected to be terrified with the sight of Marley's pigtails sticking out into the hall. But there was nothing on the back of the door, except the screws and nuts that held the knocker on. So he said, Pooh, pooh, and closed it with a bang. The sound resounded through the house like thunder. Every room above and every cask in the wine merchant's cellars below appeared to have a separate peal of echoes of its own. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes, he fastened the door and walked across the hall and up the stairs, trimming his candle as he went. You may talk vaguely about driving a coach and six up a good old flight of stairs or through a bad young act of parliament, but I mean to say you might have got a hearse up that staircase and taken it broadwise with the splinter bar toward the wall and the door towards the balustrades and done it easy. There was plenty of width for that, and room to spare, which is perhaps why Scrooge thought he saw a locomotive hearse going on before him in the gloom. Half a dozen gas lamps out of the street wouldn't have lighted the entry too well, so you may suppose that it was pretty dark with Scrooge's dip. Up Scrooge went, not carrying a button for that. Darkness is cheap. And Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door, 
He walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough reflection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel, Scrooge had a cold in his head, upon the hob. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet, nobody in his dressing gown, which was hanging up in a suspicious attitude against the wall. Lumber room, as usual, old fire guard, old shoes, two fish baskets, washing stand on three legs, and a poker. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in. Double locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he took off his cravat, put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap, and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. It was a very low fire indeed, nothing on such a bitter night. He was obligated to sit close to it and brood over it, before he could extract the least sensation of warmth from such a handful of fuel. The fireplace was an old one, built by some Dutch merchant long ago, and paved all around with quaint Dutch tiles designed to illustrate the scriptures. There were Cain and Abel's, Pharaoh's daughters, queens of Sheba, angelic messengers descending through the air on clouds like feather beds. Abraham's, Balshazar's, apostles putting off to sea in butter boats, hundreds of figures to attract his thoughts. And yet, that face of Marley, seven years dead, came like the ancient prophet's rod and swallowed up the whole. If each smooth tile had been a blank at first, with power to shape some picture on its surface from the disjointed fragments of his thoughts, there would have been a copy of old Marley's head on every one. Humbug, said Scrooge, and walked across the room. After several turns, he sat down again. As he threw his head back in the chair, his glance happened to rest upon a bell a disused bell that hung in the room and communicated, for some purpose now forgotten, with a chamber in the highest story of the building. It was with great astonishment and with a strange and inexplicable dread that, as he looked, he saw this bell begin to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound. But soon it rang out loudly, and so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute or a minute, but it seemed like an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise, deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over casks in the wine merchant's cellar, 
Scrooge then remembered to have heard ghosts in haunted houses were described as dragging chains. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below. Then, coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. It's humbug still, said Scrooge. I won't believe it. His color changed, though when, without a pause, it came on through the heavy door and passed into the room right before his eyes. Upon its coming in, the dying flame leaped up as though it cried, I know him, it's Marley's ghost, and fell again. The same face, the very same, Marley, in his pigtail, Usual waistcoat, tights and boots, the tassels on the ladder bristling, like his pigtail and his coat skirts and the hair upon his head. The chain he drew was crasped about his middle. It was along and wound round him like a tail, and it was made, for Scrooge observed it closely, of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent, so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see two buttons on his coat behind. Scrooge had often heard that Marley had no bowels, but he never believed it until now. Nor did he believe it even now. Though he looked the phantom through and through and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of its stone-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folding kerchief bound by its head and chin, which wrapper he had not observed before, he was still incredulous and fought against his senses. How now? said Scrooge, caustic and cold as ever. What do you want with me? Much, Marley's voice, no doubt about it. Who are you? Ask me who I was. Who were you then, said Scrooge, raging his voice. You're particular for a shade... He was going to say to a shade, but substituted this as more appropriate. In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Can you, can you sit down? Asked Scrooge, looking doubtfully at him. I can. Do it then. Scrooge asked the question because he didn't know whether a ghost so transparent might find himself in a condition to take a chair, and felt that in the event of its being impossible, it might involve the necessity of an embarrassing explanation. But the ghost sat down on the opposite side of the fireplace as if he were quite used to it. You don't believe me? observed the ghost. I don't said Scrooge. 
What evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your own senses? I don't know, said Scrooge. Why do you doubt your senses? Because, said Scrooge, a little thing affects them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more gravy than grave about you, whatever you are. Scrooge was not much in the habit of cracking jokes, nor did he feel in his heart by any mean waggish, then. The truth is that he tried to be smart, as a means of distracting his own attention and keeping down his terror, for the specter's voice disturbed the very marrow of his bones. To sit staring at those fixed, glazed eyes in silence for a moment would play, Scrooge felt, the very deuce of him. There was something awful, too, very awful, in the specter's being provided with an infernal atmosphere of his own. Scrooge couldn't feel it himself, but this was clearly the case. For though the ghost sat perfectly motionless, its hair and skirts and tassels were still agitated as by the hot vapor from an oven. You see this toothpick? said Scrooge, returning quickly to the charge, for the reason just assigned, and wishing, though it were only a second, to divert the vision's stony gaze from himself. I do, replied the ghost. You're not looking at it, said Scrooge. But I see, said the ghost, notwithstanding. Well, returned Scrooge, I have but to swallow this and be for the rest of my days persecuted by a legion of goblins, all of my own creation. Humbug, I tell you, humbug. At this, the spirit raised a frightful cry, shook its chains with such a dismal and appalling noise that Scrooge held on tight to his chair to save himself from falling in a swoon. But how much greater was his horror when the phantom, taking off the bandage round his head as if it were too warm to wear indoors, its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy! he said. Dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, replied the ghost. Do you believe me or not? I do, said Scrooge. I must, but why do spirits walk the earth, and why do they come to me? It is required of every man, the ghost returned, that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander the world. Oh, woe is me! And witness 
what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. Again the specter let out a cry and shook its chains and wrung its shadowy hands. You are fettered, said Scrooge, trembling. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life, replied the ghost. I made it link by link, yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it, and its pattern. Is it strange to you? Scrooge trembled more and more. Or would you know, pursued the ghost, the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy as long as this, seven Christmas Eves ago. You've labored on it since. Is it a ponderous chain? Scrooge glanced about him on the floor in the expectation of finding himself surrounded by some fifty or sixty fathoms of iron cable, but he could see nothing. Jacob, he said imploringly, hold Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have nothing to give, the ghost replied. It comes from other regions. Ebenezer Scrooge and is conveyed by other ministers to other kinds of men. Nor can I tell you what I would. A very little more is all permitted to me. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond our counting house. Mark me. In my life, my spirit never moved beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing table, and weary journeys lie before me. It was a habit with Scrooge, whenever he became thoughtful, to put his hands in his breeches' pocket. Pondering on what the ghost had said, he did so now, but without lifting his eyes or getting off his knees. You must have been very slow about it, Jacob, Scrooge observed in a businesslike manner, though with humility and deference. Slow, the ghost repeated. Seven years dead, mused Scrooge, and traveling all the time. The whole time, said the ghost. No rest, no peace, incessant torture of remorse. You travel fast, said Scrooge. On the wings of the wind, replied the ghost. You, you might have gotten over a great quantity of ground in seven years, said Scrooge. The ghost, upon hearing this, set up another cry and clanked his chains so hideously in the dead silence of the night that the ward would have been justified in indicting it for a nuisance. Oh, captive bound and double-ironed,
cried the phantom, not to know that ages of incessant labor by immortal creatures, for this earth, earth must pass into eternity before the good of which is susceptible is all developed, not to know that any Christian spirit working kindly in its little sphere, whatever it may be, will find its mortal life too short for its vast means of uselessness, not to know that no space of regret can make amends for one's life opportunities misused. Miko agrees. Yet such was I. Oh, such was I. But, but, you were always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. It held up its chains at arm's length, as if that were the cause of all its unavailing grief, and flung it heavily upon the ground again. At this time of the rolling year, the specter said, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Was there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Scrooge was very dismayed to hear the specter going on at this rate and began to quake exceedingly. Hear me, cried the ghost. My time is nearly gone. I will, said Scrooge, but, but don't be hard upon me. Don't be flowery, Jacob, pray. How is it that I appear before you in a shape that you can see? I may not tell. I've sat invisible beside you many, many a day. It was not an agreeable idea. Scrooge shivered and wiped the perspiration from his brow. There is no light part of my penance, pursued the ghost. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate, a chance and hope of my procuring, Ebenezer. You were always a good friend to me, said Scrooge. Thanks. You will be haunted, returned the ghost by three spirits. Scrooge's countenance fell almost as low as the ghost had done. Is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? He demanded in a faltering voice. It is. I, uh, I think I'd rather not, said Scrooge. Without their visits, said the ghost. You cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bells toll one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? hinted Scrooge. 
Expect the second on the next night at the same hour, the third upon the next night, when the last stroke of twelve has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that for your own sake you remember what has passed between us. When it has said these words, the specter took its wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. Scrooge knew this by the smart sound its teeth made when the claw, uh, jaws were brought together by the bandage. He ventured to raise his eyes again and found his supernatural visitor confronting him from an erect attitude with its chain wound over and about its arm. The apparition walked backwards from him and at every step it took the window raised itself a little so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. It beckoned Scrooge to approach, which he did. When they were within two paces of each other, Marley's ghost held up its hand, warning him to come no nearer, and Scrooge stopped. Not so much in obedience as in surprise and fear, for on the raising of the hand, he became sensible of confused noises in the air, incoherent sounds of lamentations and regret, wailings inexpressibly sorrow and self-accusatory. The, the specter, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window. Desperate in his curiosity, he looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghost. Some few, they might be guilty governments, were linked together. None were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in his life. They had been familiar with one old ghost in a white waistcoat with a monstrous iron safe attached to its ankle, who cried piteously at being unable to assist a wretched woman with an infant whom it saw below a doorstop. The misery with them was all, that they had sought to interfere for good in human matters and had lost their power forever. Whether these creatures faded into mist or mist enshrouded them, he couldn't tell. But they and their spirit voices faded together, and the night became as it had been when he walked home. Scrooge closed the window and examined the door by which the ghost had entered. It was double locked, as he had locked it with his own hands, and the bolts were undisturbed. He tried to say humbug, but stopped at the first syllable, and being from the emotion he had undergone, or the fatigue of the day, or his glimpse of the invisible world, or the dull conversation of the ghost, or the lateness of the hour, much in need of repose, went straight to bed without undressing and fell asleep upon the instant. Wow. There you go. The end of chapter one. 
We will move on to the second chapter, the first of the three spirits, when we continue on Monday's show. That was a long one, folks, but thanks for sticking with us. Great book, and we expect we should wrap this up just about Christmas time. So we'll see what happens. Thanks so much for joining. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash jsheldon. You can find a site there where you can uh, help out, send a little, a little goodies along as a Christmas present. And uh, again, patreon.com slash Jay Sheldon. I will see you again on Monday night. Until then, I'm Jay Sheldon, and I'm not wearing pants. Good night. Everybody.